Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Maria Pappas is a West Australian author who holds a PhD which dealt with research into the ways people share narratives of illness and trauma. In 2020, part of her research, the creative component, won the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award with an unpublished manuscript. That manuscript went on to be published by Fremantle Press recently. Called Skimming Stones, it's Maria's debut novel, which explores the trauma inflicted on families and siblings in particular of childhood illness. A book which was heartbreaking in its portrayal of the tragedy of illness, how it can tear families apart, leaving a lifelong legacy of unhealed wounds. A compelling story that I was honoured to read. And so I'm delighted to welcome Maria to the podcast today. Hi, Maria. Hi, thank you for having me. It's such an honour. Oh, the honour is mine. And congratulations. I absolutely loved this book and I can certainly see why the book won the Hungerford Award. Was this your first attempt at novel writing, Maria, or had you tried before? No, I had tried before. So um, this was written as part of the creative component of my PhD, but I also had done a master's before. I didn't have the standard um, go to uni, choose the the course that I liked, do honours, do a PhD kind of um, route. I studied commerce before and then so I had to come back through a different route, which meant I did a master's before I did my PhD. And in that master's, I wrote another novel and that novel 10 years ago was shortlisted for The Hungerford, but it didn't end up getting published and I wanted to try again. I wanted to keep going with my study and the result was this novel, which I think is a lot closer to my heart. I can see the difference mm. in the, my improvement and I've, I feel, yeah, so it's such a long journey to writing a novel and sometimes you can get disappointment and I'm glad that I stood up and kept going. This is an award that's also been won by Natasha Lester and Holden Shepherd. So what did winning this award mean for you? I've known about this award for a really long time. This award was actually the reason why I went back to study English. I came across the early winners of the award, Brenda Walker and Gail Jones, their work, and I just loved their work. And it made me remember how much I loved writing and I wanted to try not to win the award or anything, but just Mm. to express myself. And also I used to think that living in WA and I grew up in the country, that writing was something that somebody else got to do, someone far away in a big city, someone in an international place. This award showed me that local West Australian writers that can write, can produce, can go on to do other things. And it gave me something to dream for. I'm so grateful for it. It's an award that is judged anonymously. So it's validating. It's judged on the strength of your writing and you feel, oh, hey, I'm actually achieving something. Somebody likes the words that I have to say. It takes you away from a slush pile and away from how do I market myself and just allow allowed me for several years in, with this and the PhD just to focus on my joy of writing and that means 
more than I can ever express. And so what was the journey to publication like with Fremantle Press? Was it, was it an automatic thing? Was it an option? Part of the conditions, I think the terms and the conditions that the winner would also receive a publishing contract. Mm. So I knew that when I won, I'd have a book out soon. I was very nervous with showing Georgia, my publisher, I thought, how much will she change? What will she make me do? How, like, I'm a slow writer. Will she ask me to do so many things so quickly? But as it turned out, she really, I think the the book must have resonated with her. She changed not very much, made me add maybe a couple of thousand words, uh, made me move around a couple of other thousand words. And within that, because like I said, I teach, Within the summer holidays of my teaching break, I was able to do what she needed me to do. By March or April, I had the draft finished. It was going off to copy edit and cover and all of that. And it all happened so quickly after that. Mm. The, the journey to publication in terms of the actual book was almost so finished that it, it didn't feel too stressful. What felt stressful and what was really lacking in my attention was social media a web page, um, interacting with others, yeah. going to things, writing. I'm I'm shy. I like to write because I like being in my quiet place. So I actually realised that I had enjoyed that quiet place just maybe a little bit too much. And the journey to publication, the thing that I learned the most was to share, to communicate. Let's talk about the novel. I wanted to know what was the spark of inspiration that set you down this path of writing about Grace and her sister Emma? So many sparks of inspiration and Grace comes and Emma, they come from so many parts of my life and also uh, fiction. So the initial spark of inspiration came from a story my parents told me when I was little, they had me, they were on holiday in Rhodes um, in Greece and they were due to leave and the ferry was coming and somehow in the massive crowd my hand slipped out of their hand I think I was about two years old I've got no memory of this and they would say how they look for me everywhere and the way they tell the story I, I have no idea how long I was gone for to them it felt like forever they missed the boat that particular day and I don't know if because there was a lot of family there Neither of my parents are from Rhodes, but they were visiting ex extended family. I found my way back to the house that I was staying at, and then we were reunited. And so they've told this story my whole life, and it's not one, it's, you know, like I said, I've got no memory of it myself. So the initial words, the first things that I started to write was this child by water that is lost. But then other things came in the way. So I was writing a book about the way strangers interact and, and um, how you might be at a shopping centre and you see somebody and you interact with them, you talk to them. I, I don't know. You see something in their eyes, the way they are moving and maybe they need to grab something or, you you know, and you just say hello or, you know, I'll get that for you or whatever. And then a couple of times it had happened to me where, one thing led to another and I realised that me and a stranger had something more in common than I thought. So I started to write about the ways strangers reach out to each other in situations of chaos. And then probably after a year of like jotting down all sorts of things and coming up with different ideas, not knowing what I was going to write, just a child lost by water and strangers helping, actually my daughter fell quite ill with 
leukemia. And during that time, I used to find writing so com comforting. I used to find reading so comforting. But at the time, the shock of something so enormous made it hard to read, let alone write. And I was at hospital and it so happened, I, like I said, I, I teach in high school now, but before I used to teach at uni, one of the nurses that worked there happened to be a student that I had taught in cultural studies. She was doing some extra study out of interest. And I looked at her and I said, I can't write, I can't read. And she said to me, go and read something you've read before. Your brain can't cope with new things at the minute. So take something from your bookshelf that you are familiar with and read it again. And so that evening when I went home, I went through my bookshelf, uh, book after book, and, and I just couldn't get into anything. Everything had this narrative. I could feel it, this narrative where something was going to be problem, trouble, the protagonist was going to overcome it and live happily ever after or else I was really wary of reading anything that was too gratuitous, like too, you know, tragic. I didn't want to hear any terrible stories that would harm me. I wanted to feel like the, the writer understood what I was going through or understood something of the shock that I was feeling. And I came across on my shelf this tiny little book it's Don DeLillo, The Body Artist, and it is not even 150 pages long. And I thought I probably could manage that. And when I opened it up, it was about this lady who was experiencing the grief of her husband's passing, very shock passing. And I was noticing the sentences were all unfinished, very fragmented. And I was noticing that things would go round in circles, that she'd come back to the same spot again. And for whatever reason, it, it resonated with me. I think because I was reading in the same way, I was in shock. And so the idea of a character who would circle around and re-experience her shock came from me being in shock, trying to find a book that would, and when I found the book, it circled around, it repeated, it was very fragmented it ended with this huge recognition of what she had gone through. Um, there were so many open parts. I'm not Don DeLillo, but I thought, I thought you're gonna guide me. And at the same time, the nurses in the hospital, I was searching for so many stories. And because I couldn't read that much, I, I think I read that Don DeLillo book about a hundred times. It was the only book I read in the space of two and a half years that and maybe two or three others similar. So instead I was hearing the stories mm. and I was hearing them. I was very lucky to have nurses and doctors who would tell me their stories. So I would ask them one question, what made you become a nurse or what made you become a doctor? And they would tell me my mum was a nurse, my uh, grandma was a nurse. In one case, my dad was a nurse. Or they would say, when I was little, I experienced illness a lot and I spent a lot of time in hospital I was inspired by nurses or they would say somebody I loved was sick a lot and I was inspired by nurses and then I'd just ask another couple of questions and just sit and listen to the stories and I don't know if they know that they were doing this form they probably did because they're such wonderful individuals 
But each time I went in there with my daughter, I would hear another story of somebody's past. And what it would tell me is that we don't make our life choices just randomly. We really think about them. And I started to think how we're shaped by those choices and how are we formed by something as big as like childhood illness. And so then the character Grace was born. I couldn't access that part of the voice that could write this story from me, my mother's perspective, like me as a mother, my perspective. Mm. Um, and so it was just really comforting to access a story from a nurse who had been through something. Well, as I said, it was a very moving book and a tribute to the legacy of illness on siblings and, and other family members. So with that in mind, Maria, can you tell us a little bit more about the story? The story begins with a nurse who just goes about her own business. She hasn't really thought too much about her past. She has a relationship with a man and it is quite fraught. You can see why she's in that relationship, but it's also not the best for her. And uh, she works as a nurse. So she goes and she works in a paediatric oncology ward. And when she is at work, uh, she comes across a, like a patient, there is an emergency. And that particular emergency results in, I don't know, if it's called the same in the Eastern States, but in the hospital where we were at, it's called a code blue, like, you know, all the doctors, all the nurses come. And so um, she's confronted with this code, code blue, but it triggers her own memories of her sister, uh, her mum, and their own emergencies that they had dealt with. She goes home and she questions her career choices, her relationship choices, and in questioning those things, she decides that it's probably time to revisit the past. So she travels down south to her hometown. Her hometown is in Western Australia, um, probably about an hour and a half away from the main city, um, little uh, town. And in that particular town, there's this lake. And within this lake, there are these structures called thrombolites, which are, are quite rare and so she travels back to her town and to that lake and to that place where she grew up to try and patch together what it was that she experienced and to come to some conclusions about her relationship, her future and her career. And in amongst all of that, we meet her sister. We meet her um, parents. Her parents are, are going through, at the time of her sister's illness, they're going through a divorce. I didn't want to limit the story to just two sisters and cancer because what I had learned from being in a hospital is that one day you go but the rest of your life doesn't just stop you've got to if you had issues and things that you needed to deal with you still need to deal with them so it's not just one problem it's just this massive thing that's layered over all the other things so so we meet her parents who are, are going through a separation and the thing with Western Australia there's only one hospital that treats uh, children's cancer. It's in the city. So anybody who comes from the region, and you can imagine WA is so big, come from Broome, come from Albany, you know, north, south of the state, and you are to go to the city. So you leave your home with your parent, one parent, and you come to the hospital and you stay at Ronald McDonald has a, a house for, for the country patients. And you'll leave family behind. So a lot of what I saw was mum and one child coming, another child staying behind. 
sometimes in WA, there are a lot of people working on mines. So they were used to, in the country, fly in, fly out arrangements anyway, but then suddenly dad's flying in, flying out. There's a child at home, another child in the city and mum in the city. And I admired how the families and the communities patched together to help. And so in the story, I've got Grace at home while mum and sister go to the hospital, dad fly in, fly out, and Grace finds care in um, two community members and they just look after her. And so all of this, ultimately in the end, Grace has to figure out what happened, who she is and who she will become. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think the sense of loss that Grace felt was very apparent through the narrative of this story. And one thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit, and we spoke a little bit about it before we started recording, was her Greek heritage. Greek heritage played a significant part of this story, and I appreciated the references to certain customs and traditions and language that Grace felt were so tied up with her mother. And because her mother was away from her for so long, these were things that she lost things that were lost to her when her sister became ill. And it was it was just another thing that was robbed of her. She was robbed of so much in that mm. time that her sister was ill because the focus was on her sister. But this was something that she was robbed of, which she probably didn't think about, you know, in the moment. Tell me a little bit about that and, and why this was important to this story. I am one of those people that feel like you should write from what you know. So there was no way that I was going to make this character anything other than somebody who had Greek heritage, because that's what I know and that's what I can contribute. And the more we contribute, the more we each get to know each other. For me, so both my parents migrated from Greece at different times of their lives. And both of them have a strong connection to culture and heritage, but also over time have felt a loss of that connection too. And then as their child, second generation, I was born here. I tried so hard to learn my heritage. And the more I learned, the more comforted I um, found. But again, I feel a sense of loss. So I learned to read, I learned to write. I find writing really difficult because it's in different symbols. It takes me a long time to decode Greek language but Greek was my first language and so then I I feel you know I've got a PhD in English which was my second language but I've forgotten what the word for cauliflower is in Greek Mm -hmm. how does that happen and so then I've got children and again you know they surprise me sometimes with the words that they do know but each generation I feel that loss And I don't want to feel it. I want my children to know where they come from, who their family is. And so writing the Greek in the story was just my way to connect. And I'm not the only person who's migrated, like has the migration story. I think that that's an important story that many writers ought to share. It would feel disingenuous for me to make Grace, you know, somebody who had no Greek heritage and so that's that was my position and probably I know that I'm hoping to write again and all my aunts and all my uncles are like you're going to do the Greek story you're going to do the saucy Greek story you tell us all and I'm like maybe you know but it's a way for me to remember my family my grandparents my great-grandparents and to put that down for my children so they know who they are my great-grandchildren so that I don't yet have but 
one day might and I would love them to know who they are yeah fantastic brilliantly said so Maria setting which you described a little bit earlier is quite important in this book set in around Lake uh, Clifton south of Perth isn't it yep so why there so I don't come from there so it is actually quite random that I I chose there I come from further south. So there's Perth and then Mandurah is sort of halfway. Lake Clifton is very close to Mandurah. And then south again is Bunbury, which is a little port town. Basically, I like the place. I heard someone else speak about it. And when they spoke about it, it triggered a, a memory of mine. And so I went to visit. And then when I visited, I just enjoyed being there so much. I knew that I was going to include it, really. What I wanted to ask you about, and you mentioned it a little bit before, was the the thrombolites. Now, I hadn't heard of these phenomena before, I guess. Um, and these feature, I feel like a bit of a metaphor for healing. Why were they important to the story? When I visited the thrombolites, the Lake, Lake Clifton, I stood at the edge of the jetty and I think the air that I breathed in was the crispest, most cleanest air that I have ever breathed in in my life and on top of that it it's a really quiet place so like it comes off the road and then you've got to go like you feel like you're getting lost Mm -hmm. and then there is like a, a vineyard and a couple of paths but by the time you walk down the jetty there's you can't hear any cars so what you hear are the birds and the wind rippling on the lake so it's the cleanest crispest air I have ever breathed and it's also the quietest place I've ever stood and so yes it did become quite a metaphor for for healing also though it has a history so um, when I started to research it I found that many 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 years ago children drowned in there I found that it's not like you know like you're not allowed to touch the thrombolites. You're not allowed to get into that lake. I heard somebody talk about it and I, I can't confirm, but I think that sometimes it's prone to quicksand. I'm not sure. Mm. So it's not the safest of places either, but it's made safe. And when you stand there and it is just clean and quiet, you feel safe and you feel healed. Um but it's bigger than you because you know that there, some of its history, it's bigger than you. And so, and then that gives you that sense of awe as well. So I just wanted to chat a little bit about Grace's connection to Nate. He was her lover in the story, but it was a fraught relationship, as you said earlier. And I think it was more, for Grace, it was more about a shared experience of feeling seen rather than love. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. It's here is someone who understands her without having to ask her, without her having to talk about what happened, without having to answer any questions. Um, there's just someone who knows. And I think the two of them connect for that reason more than anything without really having examined their own pasts or motivations. Yeah. 
Now you talked about your own experience of being a mother with a with a sick child, but Grace is obviously a sibling, and so is Nate is a sibling, and there's there's this sense of them being on the outside looking in of that experience of being isolated. Mm. Is that something that you got a sense of by speaking to other patients or being a mum in a hospital situation? The doctors and the nurses were so kind as to only give me enough information to not try and scare me with too much, just to give me what I needed. But at the same time, only having enough made me feel the same as when, you know, you're with your parents and they say to you, this is what we're going to do. And um, and you don't really have much agency. So I found it very easy to slip into the sibling voice because it was the same helpless voice that I've got no control I have to trust someone else and that was definitely the case for me as a mum but also I've got two children so I watched the both of them experience this and one of the things that I remember a lot my daughter was very sick and very immune compromised and so one of the rules of the hospital is that if you're sick you cannot come her brother caught a cold and it took Uh, two and a half weeks, three weeks before he was able to see his sister. They're both very young at the time, four and five years old, and both of them missed each other. And my son later, many years later, said he felt like there was something wrong, but he didn't know what it was. And I know both of them have won't remember too much and part of writing the sibling story our sibling story not their sibling story but our sibling story was a chance to write a story that could help them to remember whatever they needed to remember or that they could relate to one day Maria if there was one thing that you would like readers to take away from this novel what would it be I said it I said we had our launch last night and I said that deep in my heart, this novel is really about how we come to recognise our traumas, how they shape us and how they teach us to speak a different language, one of connection. And I think connect. I hope this novel makes people take away that they can connect. Yeah, Yeah, brilliant. That's beautiful. Now, Maria, I don't know if you know, but there are many writers who listen to this podcast. And given your wonderful journey to publication to date, I wondered if you had any pearls of wisdom that you could pass on to the aspiring authors out there. Again, connect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I have a writer's group. I show my writing to these same lovely three ladies every month or so. They show me their writing and we just uh, lift each other up. I feel like sometimes writing, you second guess yourself, or why am I doing this or whatever? And it's not necessarily getting published, it's enjoying the journey. And in that journey, make sure you're not alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If readers wanted to connect with you, how can they do that? So they can go to my webpage, which is uh, mariapappas.com. They can also see my Instagram, which is at Maria books and I think I'm on Twitter which is at Maria Pappas 5. I know it's a a bit too, too many different things but that's just the way it worked out.
Well, Maria, I wanted to say congratulations once more on the publication of this beautiful novel, Skimming Stones. I wish you every success with it. And I thank you very much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. <laughs>